and welcome to this latest edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. You can find me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY, also on Facebook, Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K. And I want to talk about things that have been real game changers in Israel in the past week and things that I think will be game changers in the coming week. So uh, it's important to take note of a lot of things that have happened. I know we've had a busy week of domestic news and a busy week of a lot of international news, but it's easy to, to lose uh, sight of some of the really unique things that have happened just in the last few days or so, uh, both in Israel and a little bit out of Washington, and I'll get to all of that. Obviously, the big news is that on Monday of last week, so we're talking about November 11th, the Israelis carried out a targeted assassination of the head of Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza. And the way that, that there were two game-changing type things about it. One was the fact that Israel was going back to targeted assassinations of terror leaders, something they haven't done in a while. So obviously they felt that there was something important there. And the reports that I had seen uh, going into this attack, going into this, I wouldn't call it an attack, the, the targeted assassination, were that there was worry that Islamic Jihad was planning something big and they needed to take out their leadership. And so they did. They took out the leader. There were other leaders of Islamic Jihad that they also took out. But the main attack that started all the week's news was that targeted attack on the leader of Palestinian Islamic Jihad. It's not the same as Hamas. Obviously, they have a lot of the same goals. They are funded by basically the same groups in Iran. But they're a different group. They, it's, it's internal politics between the two of them. Over the summer, you might recall, Hamas and Islamic Jihad had some skirmishes, some actual killing of each other within Gaza, which um, I simply headlined terror versus terror in Gaza, and that was going on for a couple of weeks. Um, but the game-changing thing, the real game-changing thing, obviously Israel's done targeted assassinations before, and it was a renewal of that policy in this case. So it wasn't a, a complete game changer, but it was new that they hadn't done it in a long time. But the real new thing that I think a lot of people missed in the reporting of the story, and I would understand why, because it just didn't get into the mainstream news media, which is too bad. Because the real game changer was that Israel carried out a very high-tech operation in his assassination. We learned a day or two later that the Israelis sent into his apartment within a large high-rise apartment in Gaza a micro-drone that basically went into his bedroom. And the reason for that was twofold. The first reason was to confirm that he was in there. The Israelis don't want to expend any men or technology or weapons on an empty target. The second was to make sure that there was no large group of children or civilians in the, in the specific area of his home, in that apartment. And when the micro-drone micro accomplished both of those things, the Israelis carried out the assassination, and the only victims of that attack were the head of Palestinian Islamic Jihad in Gaza and his wife, who was in the room at the same time, and who works in the, in, in the capacity, it had been working in the capacity for Islamic Jihad as well, so she's not really considered a civilian. And so because of that, this kind of targeted strike and this kind of precision technology that was used to cut down on civilian deaths, despite all the attacks that Israel carried out, 
both in the targeted assassinations of Islamic Jihad and in the retaliations for the rocket fire. Of course, I'll talk more about the rocket fire in a second. Only 26 Palestinians were killed in Gaza over the last week, and 20 of them confirmed by not Israel. I mean, Israel also confirmed it, not just Israel, but also by the Palestinians. 20 of those 26 killed were terrorist leaders. So you're talking about very precise, very low level of collateral damage attacks on behalf of Israel. And of course, this is not the game changer. I wish it were a game changer because this has been going on for far too long. The response to that targeted attack were, was hundreds and hundreds of rockets, something between 400 and 500 rockets, fired from Gaza into the civilian areas of Israel on purpose. And the contrast, as much as we all may take it for granted, those of you who listen to Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Show, I have a, on the Nachum Siegel Network, I have a... I have a Strong feeling a lot of you are very well informed about how that huge difference between Israel and the terrorists and how Israel goes out of its way to avoid civilians and the terrorists go out of their way to hit civilians. But just for those of you who, who may need reminding or for those of you who aren't, who take it for granted too much, let's, let's lay this out one more time because it's very, very important. Islamic Jihad and Hamas and all the rocket firers from Gaza are deliberately going after civilians, and they fire their rockets from civilian areas. And that, my friends, constitutes a double war crime. And let me lay that out for you. When you deliberately attack civilians, that is a war crime. And when you deliberately attack civilians from a civilian area, using that as a kind of shield for yourself, that is a double war crime. And I, t I just don't think that this can be a fact that's just thrown to the wind. Because even if you really, really dislike Israel and the Israeli government and all those things, and you really, really wish that the Palestinians had more power, although they seem, they've rejected it at least 11 times, don't forget that the Palestinians have been offered either a state directly or indirect, an indirect path to a state 11 times since 1947. 11. 11 times. They've rejected it every time because they would much rather have dead Jews than their own state. This is not even a debate from anyone who has any kind of sensibility in their mind. You could debate and say, well, that's just the Palestinian leadership. Okay, that's fine, but this is the Palestinian leadership going over 80 years now. I mean, come on. But anyway, it cannot really be swept under the rug. You cannot excuse an entire war doctrine that is literally a double war crime every single time. Every one of those rockets, every one of those 400, let's say 450 rockets that were fired into Israel this week, every one of them is a double war crime. Every single one. That's 800 at least crimes that should be brought up in, 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 the, in the international court of law. Will it happen? No. But the Israelis and everyone else who supports Israel and anyone who supports decency need to bring that up every single time. So again, the, the rockets started flying almost immediately after that targeted assassination. Thankfully, no Israelis have been killed or seriously injured. There have been a lot of minor injuries, which I don't want to paper over because the minor injuries usually become part and parcel of something bigger, which is for the Israelis who live in the south, in the range of most of these rockets, a tremendous amount of them, especially the children in those areas, are living with post-traumatic stress disorder probably for the rest of their lives. And I hate to, again, that's another thing I don't want to sweep under the rug or just ignore Yes, it's great that 
you don't have a large scale amount of Jews being killed in, or any civilians being killed in Israel. But sometimes there are other wounds besides physical wounds, and I think we can all understand that. And that's very important to understand. But the game changer here, the big game changer, is Israel's use of this kind of micro-drone technology to cut down on the collateral damage, cut down on other civilians being killed, cut down on an entire building being destroyed. I mean, maybe the floor where this terrorist leader lived in is, is, is no good for a while, but the building, the building structure, structure that I saw in the videos I saw looked pretty sound. And, you know, you, you just have to think that we're not that many generations removed from war doctrines where the good guys, I'm not talking about the bad guys in some wars, where the good guys were using deliberate doctrines to go after civilians. In World War II, the British, because they were so really unprepared for the Germans and the Nazi occupations of, of Europe and, and the Blitzkrieg and everything else like that, the, the, the British Air Force, for what it was, openly admitted, really, and Churchill openly admitted, their, their doctrine during the war, certainly during the early part of the war, during their counterattacks on the Blitz, was to dehouse, and I'm using that word advisedly because they, that was the word that the British used and Cha- uh, Churchill used himself, was to dehouse the German civilian population and make them feel the pain more, even more so that the, that the British were feeling during the, Blitz, during the Blitzkrieg attacks on London and on other parts of, of, of the United Kingdom. And these were the good guys. Now, a- am I crying myself a river over the German civilian population that was generally pretty supportive or quiet about Hitler and the Nazis? No. I'm not crying my eyes out about that. It would have been nicer, though, just from a point of view of ending the war faster, if back then there had been the technology or the will to create the technology to go specifically after Nazi leaders. Well, Israel has that technology now. Even in a place like Gaza with all of the, the, the natural cover that so the, the the fact that this it's, there is no arm there's no real army base in Gaza they 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 again they commit the war crime every day of carrying out their terrorist planning and attacks from civilian areas but even with that incredible disadvantage that the Israelis are at as they try to cut down on civilian casualties they're now they, they, there's been a game changer that we are all now aware of and this is something that Prime Minister Netanyahu made sure that the world didn't ignore. He said a few times during the course of, of last week, terrorist leaders now know that there's nowhere where they can go to hide. They can't hide among civilians or go in some room somewhere and hope that, well, the Israelis can't get me here because I'll never bomb this building. Well, maybe the Israelis can just now bomb your room because that's what they did last week. And so that is a game changer. And I think it's a game changer for, for, for very much the good. Even though, and I acknowledge this, even though the, the sending in of a micro-drone that can kind of light a target, you know, that, that sounds kind of scary. I'm sure it must have looked pretty scary. But the people that had to pay the price for it are a lot scarier than a piece of technology. And that's very important. That's really important. The other game-changer that we witnessed in the last few, few days is that Hamas clearly was not playing a main role in the attacks on Israel. And because, as I said at the beginning of the program, because of their rivalry with Islamic Jihad, Hamas was kind of playing, believe it or not, somewhat of a positive role in all of this. Now, again, it's all relative. It's not like Hamas was saving anybody's lives. 
But Hamas is clearly happy to help the Israelis in some way or another, at least indirectly, get rid of Islamic Jihad. And in this case, it does appear that the Islamic Jihad was closer to some kind of scary attack. Now, back in April, Islamic Jihad sent some rockets over actual Tel Aviv, which is something that, you know, that's extremely rare in Israel. It's one of the reasons why there's a tremendous disconnect in the Israeli population. It's sad, but the people of Tel Aviv, and even in some cases the people of Jerusalem, and I'm not talking about all of them, of course I'm not saying this about all of them, but there's a good percentage of Tel Aviv residents and even Jerusalem residents who don't have that sense of urgency about these attacks in the South because the rockets don't usually come their way, and they don't ever, really. But Tel Aviv has, has had some issues, and Islamic Jihad was behind those rocket attacks into central Israel, the central zone, back in April, and it's possible they were planning that again. I, we all don't know the details of it, but, it, but there have been reports that, that was, there, was a, there was a plan of some new kind of major attack, something really bad, and that's why the Israelis went after these terrorist leaders, specifically the leader of Palestinian Islamic Jihad. So Hamas was okay with it, and I think that they may have played a role in keeping the Israelis informed about what was happening next. Now, I wouldn't say they were informing on Islamic Jihad. They certainly weren't giving the Israelis any help in that, in that uh, regard. But apparently Hamas was okay with Islamic Jihad trying to get some kind of a ceasefire going. We'll find out more details about this later. But something in the role of Hamas has changed. Sadly, nothing in their main core ideology or beliefs. It's not like Hamas wants to make peace now. That would, be real, that would be the real game changer. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Because Hamas is funded by Iran. Iran doesn't care if Gaza burns to the ground. They don't. What they care about is making sure that there are enough people on the, outs- on the borders of Israel, both in the north and in Gaza, who will attack and kill Jews. That's what they want. So, interesting game changer there in that Hamas was playing some kind of a role there as actually the more moderate force in Gaza. Who would believe it? But that's what's going on. Um, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's a game changer. It changes the way that the, that the, that the dynamics between Israel and Hamas is going to play out over the course of the next few months or maybe years. Another game changer that we saw over the last few days is that the United States not only expressed its support for Israel, but there were some real differences between what we heard out of the Trump administration in the last few days and what we heard out of the Obama administration and to some extent the Bush administration and all the administrations before them. First off, we did not hear from the United States that, uh, yes, we support Israel, but we uh, urge restraint. We didn't hear part B of that. And, and, and I really appreciated that, and I think a lot of you listening here on this program feel the same way. The urging of restraint on Israel has always to me been a real insult. Israel, by definition, is being restrained. Israel can turn Gaza into a parking lot and has been able to do that for 50 years. Israel's been able to do that for 50 years, and they haven't. So urging the nation that has already shown restraint in a major, major way for going on six decades is an insult. It shows, really, it's an insult to to the person who's saying it. It's the stupidest thing. (laughs) Israel, by definition, is restrained in Gaza. When they attack Gaza in a bigger way than usual, it's still restraint because the Israelis could wipe it out in a minute, maybe three. How long would it take Israel to level every major building in Gaza? Three, five minutes? I don't know. Not long. And of course they won't do that because of what I've talked about several times already since this program has begun. Israel has a doctrine of trying to spare as many civilian lives as possible. And even though they're going up against terrorist groups that have the opposite doctrine, 
where their doctrine is, is to kill as many civilians as possible, the Israelis are holding up their end of that ethical bargain. And it isn't just something to be proud of. It's something to follow. It's important to follow that rule because you don't want to get out of control even in the taking down of an enemy because even when you take down an enemy, you have to do it in a controlled way. I don't mean restraint. Now, notice I use the word control and not restraint. It is not ethical if you have a chance to wipe out an enemy who's killing a lot more people to show mercy. That's, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about a controlled way. The Israelis want to find the technology or find the weapons that they need to make sure that their efforts are controlled so that they're taking out the right people. And that's what I think Israel's coming to a point now where obviously they've always done it, but the point now where it's been able to become even more and more precise. And that's a real positive. But so we had one aspect of a game changer. We didn't hear anything from this, the Trump administration saying, well, we support Israel, but we urge restraint. We didn't hear that second part, thank God. So of course we heard the support of Israel. And then we heard something else from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo over the weekend, which was even better because not only was it factual, but he said it out loud. Mike Pompeo said, that Islamic Jihad in Gaza is a complete proxy of Iran. And that's important, too. Because previous administrations, whether they were Republican, Democrat, relatively more pro-Israel, relatively less pro-Israel, have always, for the most part, taken up this whole notion of the active members of Palestinian terrorists at least being representative in some way of the Palestinian people. And they're not. I'm not saying the Palestinian people don't, aren't, aren't in favor of a lot of the terrorism. That's not what I meant. My point is, is that they're not fundraised or elected by the Palestinian people. They've always been funded and supported by outside groups. For a long time, it was Saudi money. For a long time, it was other entities pouring in money. But now it's been Iran for, for quite some period. And they're funding both Hamas and Islamic Jihad. And... For Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, to say that, that not just getting money from, but they are a proxy, that these attacks uh, that Islamic Jihad carried out this week with the rockets were basically attacks from Iran, that's a big deal. It's a big positive step. Again, a game-changer step, in my opinion, for an American administration to basically say, this isn't about Palestinians, this isn't about restraint, this is about Iran trying to attack Israel, and that is important. To me, that plays a role as some kind of a game changer. And I hope that this continues. I hope that the American administration makes the case very clearly over and over and over again that Israel is not fighting freedom fighters or revolutionary groups. It's none of that. These are proxies of Iran meant to kill Jews, meant to kill Israelis. That's what they're there for. They're not there for Palestinian statehood. They're not there for Cuba Libre. They're not there for anything else like that. They're there to kill Jews because that's what Iran wants to be. Iran, since 1979, has wanted to be the leading Islamist nation in the world for two reasons. One, to show that Shia are better than Sunni. As you've heard me say many times before here on Novak Now, here on the Nahum Siegel Network, the real terrorist war in the world has been going on for 1,400 years between Sunni and Shia. Everything else that the Islamists do is a sideshow. So the Shia Islamists in Iran want to show that they're the craziest Islamists on the block and the toughest Islamists on the block. So that's very, very important to them. But also they just want to have mayhem. They want all of these groups that whatever they want from Israel or, 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 or another country to be reliant on them. 
And we had a non-game-changer statement because it was another kind of lie that came out of Iran this week from the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who's the supreme leader. He's been running the place since Ayatollah Khomeini died in 1989. So it's 30 years now the guy's been in charge. And he said this week, I think he said it last week, he said it on Friday, that, oh, by the way, we want to wipe out Israel and the Israeli government and all that, but we don't want to kill Jews. We have nothing, there's nothing anti-Semitic about us. And that didn't get widely reported, and I'm grateful for that, because it's just so not true on its face. And I'm not even talking about based on actions. I mean, we could just disprove what he said based on all the money and all the support that Iran has given to attacks on Israeli civilians, on Israeli Jews, not only in Israel, but Argentina. Hello, the, the Jewish community center bombing there in 1994 that everyone knows Iran was behind that killed 85 people. That's not even Israel but also other leaders of Iran over and over again, even in recent months, and other Iranian proxy groups have said, we want to kill Israeli civilians. Hassan Nasrallah, who's the head of Iran's number one proxy, Hezbollah, said just in August that Israeli civilians should not rest. He said they should not live. So just an outrageous statement from Ali Khamenei. Of course, Iran wants to kill civilians. Of course, Iran wants to kill Jews, both in Israel and outside of Israel. They've done it in the past. They've paid for it, and some, many times they've failed, thank goodness. But that's what they want to do. And I call that the non-game changer of the week because nobody bought that one. And I'm glad for it. It didn't get a lot of coverage, and that's important because we don't want this kind of disinformation to get out there too much. Now, what can we look forward to in the next couple of days? There's also another thing that's going to happen that will most likely be a game changer one way or the other in the Israeli political impasse, the Israeli political logjam. One thing that you may have noticed during the course of this rocket barrage, which thankfully seems to have stopped over the weekend, it, it continued a little bit into Friday night, Saturday morning, Israel time, but Saturday and Sunday were quiet. By the time we've started into the next week, it could resume, so I'm not discounting that, but it does seem like some kind of fragile ceasefire is holding for now. But you may have noticed that despite this rocket barrage, the Israeli political logjam didn't get solved. Now, some of us thought, and I, you know, I thought maybe there was a 50-50 chance, that with the barrage of rockets that were coming through, that maybe that would help create a unity government agreement, maybe over the, this past weekend, or something like that. But then we found out something else. At the end of last week, we found out that on Tuesday, so that would be November 19th, on Tuesday, we're going to find out whether Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, and again, this is reported, I guess it's not 100% sure that this is going to happen, but it does seem very likely that on Tuesday, we will find out from the Attorney General's office in Israel whether or not Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be indicted on a number of corruption charges. Now, there are a number of scenarios that could, could play out. The first scenario is that he's not indicted on anything. I don't think a lot of people expect that to happen. The second scenario is that a lot of people believe he will be indicted on some minor charges, but not the most important charge, which is bribery. And then, of course, the third possibility is that he will be indicted for bribery. Now, I think this has a much better chance, whatever we find out on Tuesday, has a much better chance of being the game-changer event for the Israeli political logjam. If Prime Minister Netanyahu is fully cleared or is only charged on a minor 
offense. The chances that Blue and White or Avigdor Lieberman's party, Israel Beitenu, will join with him in some kind of national unity coalition or overall coalition will go up exponentially. Because the chances of Netanyahu stepping down will become very, very remote. But if Netanyahu is indicted on the bribery charge, the most serious charge, then the chances of Likud being under tremendous pressure to remove Netanyahu as their party leader and to put somebody else in there and then form a unity government with the new leader would also go up. So Tuesday is going to be the game-changer day, either for Netanyahu personally or for the overall Israeli political picture. I, I guess there's a possibility that if Netanyahu is not charged on the, major, on the most important charge, that we could still have a political logjam. But that would show really incredible, and I'm not putting it past him, incredible political stupidity on the part of Blue and White and Yisrael Beitenu. If Netanyahu is not indicted on the serious charge of bribery, and they still dig in their heels and decide we don't want to be in any kind of coalition government with Netanyahu, then they'll really look like they're just not accepting reality. And to some extent, Prime Minister Netanyahu would look like he's not accepting reality if he is charged with bribery, fair or unfairly. I'm not talking about that right now. But if he is charged with bribery, which is the most serious charge, and he digs in his heels and says, I'm never going to step down from Likud, and uses whatever remaining power he has to, to stop that from happening, then that also would seem a little bit beyond the realm of, of reality coming from his camp. So Tuesday should be a game-changer day, unless, none of these, unless they decide to continue to postpone this. But the funny thing about it is that Tuesday is one day before Wednesday, and Wednesday is the last day that Benny Gantz, who currently has the mandate from President Rivlin to create a government, that's the day that his mandate expires. So he needs to have all of his scenarios in place right now, so that when the, when the news breaks on Tuesday, whenever it breaks on Tuesday, if it breaks on Tuesday, he's able to say, okay, we made this agreement in, in, in situation A, we made this agreement in situation B, and this agreement in situa situation C, here's what, here's what actually happened, so now we need to execute what we said was going to happen based on those three scenarios. If he doesn't have those three plans laid out for him right now, then he's not fit to lead, because you've got to be ready to make decisions really, really quickly, and when you know that you're going to have major options coming on a particular day and you don't, you're not ready to execute them, then you shouldn't be a leader. So a tremendous amount of, of different scenarios that should play out. Uh, hopefully on Tuesday we get some answer. Based on what I've seen from the, the charges against Netanyahu, I do feel that we are in a situation where the major charges are not warranted against, them, against him. A lot of the so-called favors that Netanyahu was supposed to have received in return for other favors didn't materialize. For example, positive press coverage. Uh, that's one of the charges against him that he made deal business deals with one of the major media moguls. And it turned out he didn't get the good press coverage. So I don't really know where we're going with there. Um, there are a bunch of other types of, of issues. I think that the Israeli legal establishment isn't going to want to leave empty-handed. So from their point of view, they're going to want to charge him with something. But again, if it isn't the major, major charge of bribery, I just don't see uh, how Blue and White and Avigdor Lieberman's Israel Beitano party can continue to just make their entire raison d'etre, their entire reason for being uh, about being anti-Netanyahu. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So folks, we've had a lot of game-changer events in the last few days. We will have more in the coming days. 
Let's hope it remains peaceful no matter what those game-changer events are. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.